Do Good Charlotte is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. There's good all around us. Let's hear about it. In this episode of Do Good Charlotte, we're honoring Black Philanthropy Month by introducing you to Kenya Joseph. She's the director of Hearts and Hands Food Pantry. Welcome to Do Good Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. We're so excited that you're here. So let's talk about Hearts and Hands. I love the name. So where did it come from? Um, Well, Hearts and Hands Food Pantry was founded between uh, myself and my mom. And after the crazy story of how we were founded, that just seemed like an obvious choice for us. We were watching a crazy show on extreme couponing in the beginning of 2017, that dead time where there's nothing on TV after the holidays. And we had never watched a show like that before. And what was interesting about it was the family that was doing it and they were, everybody was committed, the kids, the parents, but it turned out that they were doing that to raise products and funds for a family that lived in their neighborhood where the father had lost his job and there were four kids. And that was just an incredible and heartwarming story. And we're watching this and I'm like, wow, like we could do that. And immediately on both turning to each other and being like, we could do that. We were like, well, we can do more than that. And it was like, well, what is more than that? What does more than that look like? And so it was immediately like, well, I think that might be a food pantry. So we started, you know, researching and Googling a lot and reading and seeing what was going on in other cities and other places. And it really motivated us to do this. It was truly divine inspiration. Like it was like God was like, hey, this is what you're doing now. Um, And so we settled on hearts and hands because we felt like it was the best description for the work that we're trying to do. Honestly, you're caring for other people. It's not about us. It's not about the people who are serving, but rather the people who are being served. So we partnered with um, a church that we were members of at that time to kind of start. um, And we were in the church for a few months. And then we were able to, of course, get our own certificate. Um, We closed down for two months so we could find our own facility. Um, and so we've been at our facility in Huntersville ever since. It's been five, be five years. Wow. So divine inspiration from a TV show, extreme <laughs> yeah. couponing. I mean, yeah. um, we're, so did, is that how you started extreme couponing or we lasted you- two weeks? it's hard but at the same time the bigger vision we were completely convicted with and we were were moving full on ahead and so we self-funded for the first year really um we started to get noticed pretty quickly in our community and had you know especially with the church and everything and had people come and bring us food and things like that but it really wasn't until we went out on our own which is what we were called to do and got our own facility and went independent that we started to really establish ourselves first in that very local neighborhood where people knew that we were there doing what we were doing. And it just grew from there. Talk about the need, because I think some people think Huntersville, they don't need, they don't need food. Um, they're good. Right. So clearly there's a need. Yes. So I personally have been in Charlotte for, it'll be nine years in two weeks. And 
I'm originally from New York City, and this is a very small geographic area with a ton of people. So when I moved here, one of the things that I noticed was that, you know, we have the city of Charlotte, but like everybody forgets about everything surround outside of Charlotte. And so that's part of where that comes from. There is a huge need everywhere. Food insecurity happens to be a, a massive social problem, but it's also an invisible problem. And so when you, yes, our facility is in Huntersville. We happen to be in Huntersville a lot because we wanted to make sure to capture anybody who needed help that wasn't in the direct Charlotte city net because so many people and so many families fall through the cracks because they are in Huntersville. There are, they are in, you know, Cornelius or Davidson. We, you know, we have clients in Statesville, as an example. We have clients in Denver. We have clients in places that people don't necessarily think about. And that's a lot of times where you see the starkest need. There are pockets of abject poverty in Huntersville, in Davidson, in Cornelius. But we all pay attention to what we see on the surface. And that's part of the problem. Yeah. And, and, and you were talking about, as well, food deserts. Mm-hmm. Um, a food desert, I think by definition, is that you can't, it's, it's, there's not food within a walkable distance, right? Is yes. that That's what it is? Yes. And so that's the problem with suburbs, right? Mm-hmm. It, we're, it's a driving place. So yeah. how, do we get, how do we get food to people who don't have access to, to a car? And that's part of the challenge of our county at large, I'll say. Um, there are a lot of food deserts, of course, right here in Queen City, but also in all of the surrounding suburbs as well. There's a lot of food deserts. And access is such a huge, huge issue. It's one of the reasons why, you know, in 2020, during the height of the pandemic, we started our delivery service, you know, and we we made a decision. We made a choice when, when COVID started, when the lockdown started, we made a decision. We are not closing. We had, I remember that that very weekend right before the lockdown went into effect, we got a call on a weekend. And of course at that time we weren't open on weekends, but we still answered the call anyway. And there was a man, he was calling for on behalf of his family, his young wife and a young child, and they were really struggling. And he's like, you all are the only organization that has picked up the phone. And he's like, we need food, but we, they, he was like, we have more pressing needs that of course we couldn't handle. But he was like, I just called everybody because no one picked up the phone, not homeless services, not shelters, not anything. We were the only ones who answered. And so that was really the driving force for us of like, okay, we're here and we aim to be here for the duration. So we never closed, not once. (laughs) We worked tirelessly that whole year. And so when we got to about August, we were like, okay, I, what's the next thing we need to do? We need to get delivery service because what's happening is, yes, all these people are, you know, contracting COVID and they're on quarantine and people have lost their jobs or their businesses and it's terrible, but you have an all, a whole completely unseen and underserved population as well because you have all these people who are elderly or disabled completely cut off from services because things are closed, because things are locked down. How do we reach the people, those people who need help? So that's where that came from. So I'm thinking 2017, you started out, right? Mm-hmm. We're in the moment we're talking about pandemic mm-hmm. 2020. Yeah. How big did your customer base grow? 
No, it was crazy. We I actually calculated it and it became part of like, you know, our talking points because it does actually matter. So we in I, I can tell you like in fall of 2019 that we had gotten to a place where it was like, okay, we're really, you know, we're established. We feel like we're really doing something here, you know? And my mom kept saying, something's coming. I don't know what it is. Something is coming. Something is coming. Something is coming. You know? And so I quietly started, you know, stockpiling certain things. We were like, okay, let's let's build up an inventory of certain things. Let's store it. You know, we don't know what's going to happen. And 2020 hit from that first week of lockdown. We went up 300%. By the end of the year, by the end of 2020, it was about 500%. What's interesting about that number and that statistic is that we've stayed there ever since. Wow. That's where we are. That's the new, that's when we talk about new normal, that's our new normal. That's where we are. So it, it catapulted us into a completely different space. So right now, 2022, our, our, when we started out this year, our numbers were projected to be um, supporting 4,500 families. We're on track to probably get to about 7,000 by the end of the year. So it really, <laughs> I don't know, but we're going to be here. That's what we're going to do. 7,000. That's such yeah. a huge number. And it's families, not individuals. So families, that's, a, yeah. that's, so people are coming once a week or how often do they come so or how do you provide for them? Our service. So we have, we have two main service days, which is which are Tuesdays and Thursday afternoons. Um, a couple of months ago, we started introducing Saturdays every other Saturday. So that's where we are now. Um, and our clients are eligible for service every two weeks. So what's different, what sets us apart from a lot of the other food pantries in our region is that there's a few things, but we are a full, cho full choice, low barrier food pantry. What that means is clients can choose exactly what they want. It's not just getting handed a box of random things. And that's actually really important because allowing people choice is about, of course, the same dignity that you or I are afforded in how we shop every single day. But it's also, you know, that extra level of caring for somebody, somebody with special dietary needs or someone in their household that has special dietary needs or just preferences. You know, I've talked to people who you know, and us answering the phone to help them have started bawling. So, you know, you have this whole conversation of care with this person to let them know that at least this one thing is taken care of. So of course, I'm going to ask you what your favorite snack is. Of course, I'm going to ask you what your favorite food is. And we're going to do everything that we can to give you that. That's just humanity. <laughs> like, So that's one of the things that we really pride ourselves on. That will never change. What no is matter. really hard to get though? What is something that some people have asked for that you're like, oh, I don't know if we're going to be able to get that? <laughs> it's... You know what? I, I can't say that there is one, and I'll tell you why. We have incredible local donors, families, schools, churches, businesses. They are incredible. So we also, in being full choice, we have a, an insane variety of things. Like, we really operate like a store. Like, last week, we gave out ribs, and we've done this many times. And so in a way, to a certain extent, our clients are spoiled. So there's never anything that they asked for, for the most part, where it's like, we absolutely can't do it. It's when people start getting into really niche specific things. But at the same time, there's a lot of things that we have that I even have in stock right now that are really niche and specific. Like we have an entire um, vegan food section 
We have a gluten-free section. We have low salt, low sodium for diabetics. We have all kinds of things. Wow. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that makes me happy to hear that people are getting to, um, eat whatever they want. Yeah. I mean, it's really, that, that is a true gift. It makes us happy when someone claims certain things that we're like, I didn't even know what that was. So that's also really important for us too. We want to make sure that we're honoring everyone's experience, your cultural experience, potentially your religious experience. You know, we have foods that are specific to the Jewish community. We have foods that are specific to Asian communities. We have foods that are specific to Hispanic communities. We want to make sure that we always have these things for whoever needs it. So you're having these in-depth conversations with anyone who comes Mm -hmm. through. um, And I'm guessing you're hearing just the reality of what this economy is really doing to people. Yes. Um, How, how do you, um, how do you feel good at the end of the day? Like, how do you know that, that, because this can't be easy. I mean, you and your, it started off with you and your mom, but it sounds like you have to have an organization now. Yes, we absolutely, you know, full 501c3 organization. We have a dedicated and amazing core of volunteers, but we're also still in the shop every day too. So we're dealing with it every single day. You know, my mom is going around praying with people at their cars. Like that's what we do. Um, And so how do we feel good at the end of the day? We feel good when everybody who made an appointment came. We feel good when all the deliveries get there and they're okay. You know, that's, that's what makes us feel good. We especially feel good when we hear from a client who is really struggling when something amazing has happened for them. And that amazing could look like they got a job. That has happened. We've had that happen many times. It could be, I got my EBT benefits. I got my WIC benefits. I was approved for disability. Uh, you know, my, my son who was living across the country is coming to help me. These are, this is, this is the, the core of how we feel good. It's an interesting thing to do this work because it's, the goal is to make yourself obsolete, right? The goal is to not have, not have people need you. That's really what it is. So, you know, we just keep going. Yeah. You're doing amazing work. After this break, we're going to hear more about what Kenya is doing and how you can help her. We're honoring Black Philanthropy Month through our partnership with Share Charlotte. We're joined by Valeda Fullwood. Share Charlotte is partnering with her for Black Philanthropy Month. Valeda is a founding member of the new generation of African American philanthropists. Welcome to Do Good Charlotte. Thank you so much. So let's talk about your organization. So what's it about? Yes, New Generation of African American Philanthropists, or NGAP for short, is a philanthropic collective based here in Charlotte. And for 16 years, we've been inspiring action through the power of Black philanthropy in our community. We um, partner with nonprofits serving our community and um, bring attention and spotlight their wonderful work. These organizations come to you for, for money? Some of them do, yes, but instead, part of our work, particularly during Black Philanthropy Month, is to spotlight the ecosystem, the community of Black-founded and Black-led nonprofits serving our community. So we 
um, look at the overall community of nonprofits, which to date we've identified over 300 Black-led, Black-founded nonprofits serving our community. And we do what we can to support them directly with our grant making, but we also introduce other funders to their work. Oftentimes these organizations are the backbone of our communities, but they fly under the radar of many major funders in our community. So they don't have access to resources and um, folks don't know about their work. And so they become under-resourced and oftentimes understaffed, but they do vital work. So particularly in this era, NGAP is working to put a spotlight on these organizations, to elevate their presence in our community, to amplify their voices and vision for our community, and to attract resources in their, to strengthen them and support our overall community here in Charlotte-Mecklenburg. Where can they find you? Yes, you can find NGAP at new-philanthropists.org. So pretty easy to find if you know how to spell philanthropy or philanthropist, which I know is a challenge for many. Um, so I'll spell it out really quick. That's new-philanthropist, P-H-I-L-A-N-T-H-R-O-P-I-S-T-S.org. What is it about your organization that's different? Okay. So, of course, I talked a little bit about what it means to be a full-choice pantry, really allowing clients to have that dignity and being able to select what they need. But also, we are extremely low barrier. That's important. What that means is a person does not have to jump through a bunch of hoops, a bunch of paperwork, or referrals to use our service. That is has was a problem and has remains a problem to this day in a lot of social services. Usually the process is a person has to be referred by another organization, whether it's a school or a caseworker or another form of social service to be able to access food services. So from day one of us starting our pantry, we were like, that's not going to work. People should be able to call us and make their appointment. So, Well, it's not easy to ask for help. Absolutely. But empowering somebody to not have to deal with a middleman and not have to dig into all of their personal story if they're not comfortable with that just to get food. You know, our the, the, the core foundation of our mission statement is food is a basic human right. Every single person on this planet needs food, no matter what is happening for them. So why make it difficult if someone needs food? Right. If they're already struggling, if something catastrophic has happened, you know, we've had families where their house burned down. That's the last thing they're thinking about. So let them pick what they know that they need and what they what their kids like to eat, what is comfort food to them or what is nutritious to them, and let them go on their way. They don't need to call five people to get an appointment three weeks later for a thin box of food. Like, we're not going to do that. They need food now. They need food now. Make an appointment. And so when when COVID hit, before that, people were able to actually come into our facility. So it's set up like a store where they were coming in and walking around and actually shopping the shelves and it's just free it's pantry. But with COVID, obviously we couldn't have people coming in and the health risks and all that kind of stuff. So that first weekend of lockdown, we sat down and was like, well, what do we do? You know, we're hearing that all the nonprofits are closing. We're hear, hearing this from clients. So I said, why are we looking at other nonprofits? We need to look at the stores. We need to look at Harris Teeter. We need to look at Publix. We need to look at Target. How did they do it? Oh, they're doing curbside pickup. They're converting to online. We're going to do the same thing. 
and I locked myself in a room and I went into the back of our website and coded a whole system. And that's what we've been using ever since. And that system thankfully has helped us to manage our volume too. But it also allows people even that extra layer of privacy. Maybe you're going through something and you're, you feel shame around it. You can sit in your house and, and make an appointment with us on your phone, pick out all your stuff on the phone like you would make an order on Amazon. And if you don't want to talk to anybody, you don't have to. And you can still get what you need. So that's really important to us. That's really awesome. Yeah. So if I want to help your organization, mm -hmm. how can I help? Um, well, in our current economic and social climate, um, of course, being a nonprofit and of course being a food pantry, people think, yes, we need food. We always need food. And for us, it's really important that foods that are that are donated to us are new, not opened, not expired. Um, there are other organizations that take expired food, and that's fine. We just don't. We everything that we give is new. We don't do expired food. Um, and so sometimes we have to turn things away because of that. Um, we also take perishables. We have you know full refrigeration and, and freezing in our facility. So. You know, those just have to be dropped off when we're actually open. But everything else, we have drop-ins. So it's super convenient for somebody. They can come at any time after work, before work, whatever you want to do. Middle of the night, we've had that happen too. Um, but the other side of it, of course, is financial. Um, being a nonprofit and being independent in the way that we are, um, financial donations are so, so important. We're fortunate enough to have a relatively low overhead. Our entire organization is 100% volunteer, so we're not, you know, paying big salaries or anything like that. However, you know, in relying on physical product donations, we can't always, you know, know for sure what we're going to get every week. And there are staples that we need to always keep in stock, widely used by everybody, rice, pasta, uh, gosh, mac and cheese boxes, canned vegetables, canned soups, things like that. So we have to shop a lot. When we go shopping for food for the pantry, it's like an army. Like there's a Walmart in Huntersville. They know us because we come in like four deep with carts. They know, you know. So financial donations are so, so important because that all of those donations literally go to that. It's literally us re-upping that inventory to be ready to have to serve you know, 150 families coming through our door in a week. Wow. You know, that's, and, and it soon will be more too. We're trying to expand um, some of our service offerings and our programs too. So we're always looking to be able to reach more people. Um, so what's the best way that we can find you? Best way to find us is on our website, which is heartsandhandsfoodpantry.com. All and of that. All of that. Hearts and, and Hands spelled out, heartsandhandsfoodpantry.com. S is on hearts. Yes. S, S is on, on hands. hands. And and A-N-D. A-N-D. So, all right. So yep. we got it all. And um, so then that way people can go to your website and they can – can they make a donation right there on the website? Absolutely can. Yeah. Okay. We've got a donation page there. Um, you can also, if you're interested in volunteering, um, we have two types of volunteers right now. We have our in-facility volunteers. They help to stock and help to prepare client packages. Um, and then we have our delivery volunteers. And both are amazing, but I got to give a special shout out to our delivery volunteers because they, they have, they did not quit. The gas run up and they didn't care. We have one driver. He's been with us forever. He's retired. Him and his wife do it. They have a Tesla. And so when the gas prices started going up, he's like, we're fine. We'll be here every Thursday. And it's just amazing. So um, those are the two types of volunteers that we have. And 
they can sign up. You can sign up right on our website. So it's super easy. We want to make things as easy and as automated as possible. That's part of my background. I have an extensive business background. So I'm always like, automate it, make it easy. Nobody wants to talk to anybody. Text us. Don't call us. Like, so website is the, is the way to go hundred percent. And we have a chat there too. So if there's a question that comes up in anything that you're reading or, or you have ideas about something, pop it right in the chat, go to our email, we'll respond to you right away. We didn't have a chance to really dig into your biography, but yeah, 15 years of finance. I mean, yeah. you, you know what you're doing and you have I, I adjusted. Think so. <laughs> yeah. You've adjusted on the fly throughout yeah. this whole thing. I mean, this experience is, I mean, must be just be tremendous. You, you really learn what you don't know though, doing this. I never thought I was going to end up in nonprofit work per se, not because I, I ha- always had a heart for helping people and that was always something that I was passionate about. Like I, when I was in the middle of my career, I went on a on a um, food insecurity mission with the UN and the World Food Program. So this is something that is a passion for me, but I never thought that it would manifest in this particular way. I literally had to retire from finance. Like I literally retired. And so I do this now and I am involved in two other nonprofits as well. And every day I learn something new, every single day. And you're helping a lot of people in the process. Well, thank you so much, for Kenya, for coming. Do you know someone else like Kenya who's doing good in our community? Let me know. Tell me about someone or a nonprofit organization that should be heard on Do Good Charlotte. Reach out to me, Pam Escobar, on social media. I'm Reporter Pam on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or go to the Queen City Podcast Network page and fill out the contact form for Do Good Charlotte. A big thanks to Share Charlotte. You can hear about other groups that are doing good by following their hashtag, hashtag Spotlight on CLT. There's good all around us. Let's hear about it.